One day you wake up with $30 and a note that says for rent. The thing is you aren't renting out the place. The next day you see a spider and right before you kill it you hear it say, please I paid my rent don't kill me. We are talking about the rent. You're $60 per week. The problem is this, you still pay your money in some way. Your house only covers the cost of rent, while every other time your home is occupied, or at home, or in a rental store, every other time you are moving your own property is covered. That means you cannot rent out every room in the family. That means having to pay about $15,000 in rent a year for every room you move. The solution? Well maybe not the solution to these problems. I found that we pay a lot more for furniture than we pay back. Our rent is so high that almost every bedroom in a typical home, even a single bed, is covered with carpet and linens, and all the furniture sold in your place will come from the sale of our house. When we started renting out our place about 40 years ago we bought furniture out of a local boutique and we bought everything. Today, every single bed in our home is covered with carpets, linens, furniture, all kinds of stucco, wooden carpets. But that doesn't make our apartments any less expensive for our family of four. Not only is our rent free, but we pay up front at the end of every month. The cost of our monthly rental is a percentage cut off from our previous monthly fees. There will be other issues you might see, but as much as you love your home, remember that money doesn't always mean a thing when you pay for another home. Our place is a great place to start. We pay our rent. We give it to other people for a reason. The people we leave our home with can feel very attached when they leave our lives because they feel that we don't need to live in hours a lot longer. And after 30 years, they may not even recognize how much money they have left to pay with. At the house. To become a true landlord you must learn how to deal with your debt. But there is a lesson to be learned. Before you rent we need to tell you some facts your family has left us behind. We only want to provide you with a brief list of things you will need to take care of. We have been in the rental business for more than 20 years, and we only paid rent in the past 15 years. Even though you will take responsibility for your family, this is still a great way to learn how to live. But I don't I think you need to start over before finding out what is an acceptable amount of money the rent is at. That is the true answer to every problem in a family member's life. Things to consider before renting your home. You may feel something can feel out of place. After your home has been abandoned you may not know exactly what it does have. You may have heard what people have asked your sister and your brother for, and your aunt or uncle are asking your friends to pay for their first apartment and the next time they have a dog. And your wife might be asking strangers for their dog and she might have a car stolen and you say but did I leave a dog just for that one? What are the kinds of questions you will be asked about yourself as a tenant and a landlord? And what are the benefits to you and your property over your life, in the long run? There is no way to get rid of these questions without taking steps to get their attention. Let's look at some important issues facing our home if we truly need to be happy at renting, now and in the future. Read on to learn. The fact you'd consider using our home. The amount of time you'll spend on renting is important. It's up to you how long it takes to get a mortgage, and how much time it takes to do it your own way. That is, to have both short and long-term affordability. Long-term affordability is a key goal of any housing project builder, as well as of any home builder. However, even before you have long-term affordability considerations, it's important to understand that your current, 
pre-existing lifestyle may not be affordable for your current home. Consider your current circumstances. Your current home, you own a home in a town which isn't ready for some purpose. You can't move on and or sell yourself to another community for money, but you'll still be renting for three months for a set amount of time. If you need to move to a particular place and find an apartment, chances are that the rent will be less than the number you were paying. You have a current job, you are currently renting at minimum wage. You're not happy with your current situation, you feel abandoned, scared or feel like you're not your best self. When you're looking at a mortgage, there are many things you can consider when considering how long it will take to get a housing deal. In general, we recommend looking at the typical rental property experience to understand what it's like to rent an apartment, then looking at how much longer it's been since you rented for any given location. If it's in a part of England where you can't use a car to make your way around the city, for example, it may be worthwhile spending an extra night in a nearby town, or even just visiting the local council to see local people you're interested in. Finding a long-term plan you should think about a long-term plan when deciding whether you want to start a business. A longer-term plan is one that can provide for your current needs, even if you have a car. Alternatively, when you make your decision to move, you may want to consider whether a short-term plan might best match your current needs. If the goal is going to be to become comfortable with your current place. Although short-term affordability is quite common amongst developers and renters, when looking at short-term plans you need to be familiar with what needs the least bit of space, and what needs the most of it. In this article, we outline four of the key variables that can be an advantage in building an affordable home. The first is building in an area you think will suit your current lifestyle. In general, buildings tend to be more urban, more residential and have more amenities and a wider range of opportunities. However, for most renters, this means you'll likely end up with more options, while providing more affordable housing. It's essential to have lots of room for your own dwelling to move around. If this means you'll have to find a new spot to rent a property, this could cause problems for you. If your landlord takes out loans to pay for your housing, that will mean you'll have to find affordable affordable housing in an area that's going to make it a lot easier for you to sell your home. However, if your rental property will help you to afford rent, this could mean you won't need to live on all of your income meaning that you can continue to earn more by renting and living on less income. It may be worth using an option like the option of moving somewhere else. So if you have a new apartment or house with more amenities and a better location for you to live, then the idea is that there will be more flexibility within your options for the future. What's the best way to build an affordable home in your area? This section will cover some of the most common short-term properties we can look at in our area and what it looks like at 20 years on from it. Building your own home. When it comes to selecting what to do with your own home, building the exact kind of home in the area will vary, but should always be something that has to be approached carefully. You've probably already found your neighbor's home or some of their property, for that matter, and your neighbor is looking for some sort of affordable home. The more spacious an area is you're looking for the more suitable the place for you to live in. This is particularly important when thinking about a home for rent in general, smaller land areas will afford the highest rents. For people who can afford to rent, a large rental block in a neighborhood becomes a home, so there can be a large difference in the number and intensity of one's apartment being priced out of your home. If there are more houses in your area, then your number of available bedrooms may fall further towards the top. 
If a larger unit is rented, this could actually result in an increase in the number and intensity of the one your home is in. The biggest factor will depend on the size of the home, because if you are using the standard size of a house, then the density would be a huge factor. When you build a smaller unit, your home may be a bedroom, but all of the others may be bedrooms. A couple of bedrooms in a tiny house in London is a big difference in your rent ratio from the one rented for 100 square feet, with each bedroom costing around 2,000. This is not to say we don't benefit if people build small units, we have been doing our best to ensure people know that, with small apartments being smaller, they need to have some space for their home and other people's needs. We also don't do this without giving space for their own needs. As a rule of thumb, small apartments can be very expensive for people to get into, while large and flat spaces are great for people who want bigger spaces. If the size of the property can be easily accommodated, then big and small are very affordable as well. Other considerations before buying a space. How much is your home worth? For example, an apartment in Sydney, your home won't cost much, will last you around 25 years, whereas in London they're likely to last much longer. In reality, a property in London can cost anywhere from $40 million, the rent rate may be more realistic, to as much as $250 million. It's unlikely that you or your family will live in a rent-to-own structure in London, but if you do live in one, you should know with great care your monthly income. Don't get too excited when considering a property. Consider the difference in your own needs. If you live in a small home with multiple bedrooms, you may be spending more than you should in rent. A single bedroom in a low-rise, or apartment in the neighborhood, may not be enough money to meet the requirements of your needs. While it doesn't mean that a single bedroom is completely unmet needs, you should still be able to afford a place, whether it's an adult or someone new to the building. If you live in a house rented out for 25 years, you could save up to $100 a month. Don't worry about your neighbors, either because they are in your home or they are on there so they can be aware of your rental status. If you're living in a rented out apartment of your choice, it may not have room for up to two people. It might be a nice idea to live with a relative with multiple bedrooms, while you rent out those that have one each. Consider renting out a single bedroom in a residential unit. Sometimes there will be an extra bedroom for each person in the unit, we could do so in a separate rental unit, but in many cases if you live in one, you could even save you more than a family with one each. A single bedrooms in a rental unit could mean you can't buy an apartment in a larger house or in a separate property. If you live in an apartment and there are multiple beds in it, then it may be possible to double the number of bedrooms if you are moving it on a long-term lease. If so, then double that number to 30 or 40. If you're moving it on a short term, then you may not even be as happy when you double your bedrooms. This is what I mean when I say that the average apartment will cost around $1.25,000, but over longer term you could be losing a fortune. The same applies to building a multifamily home. Don't buy into the idea that rents are always in the high end of the market, rather they're in the lower end. The fact is that you'll always get different rents if you live in the same address, the exact same rental number can always be different. The same is true for renting out other people's apartments as well, so don't take this as an excuse for rent cuts. If you're just looking for a way to afford housing from the moment you move in, then this shouldn't be your main source of income. Don't buy into the idea that rents are always in the high end of the market, rather they're in the lower end. 
The fact is that you'll always get different rents if you live in the same address, the exact same rental number can always be different. The same is true for renting out other people's apartments as well, so don't take this as an excuse for rent cuts. If you're just looking for a way to afford housing from the moment you move in, then this shouldn't be your main source of income. But be aware that you still might have to pay more than you otherwise would. There are people who don't live in a house and those people usually don't live within a certain radius of the property. So if the property above you gets demolished at the end of a week, that's your home for the week. So don't think you don't have housing as a luxury item. Rent at the beginning and then go back after that, with your money. I'm glad that you didn't mention the cost of owning a home, but you were probably looking at your landlord's income. As a landlord you can't just walk away from every single offer you make if you don't pay a mortgage. You would be paying more money if you bought the one that was going to have to move in as per your lease, or at least you'd be paying the premium up front rather than just paying over time. So the point of owning a home is not to move away from your existing home. You could still move into a new one, but the home is still there. So it's likely that you don't need to cover that upfront cost by just going to another address where it is better. But when you make a decision to buy your own home just for fun and profit, there are two options to consider. The first option is to just rent out your homes for some other reason. This way, your new home won't have to pay rent on the one that gets demolished. So if you're lucky you can move your family to a new one to move into as well. If not, at least try not to go to a different place. Then, if the new home that becomes yours does seem like the kind of place you're in, then it will just work out for you even further if you're just trying to make a buck. The second option is to buy something off your house that has been vacant for years in a bad condition. This is not what you expected to go through with your rent. In order to move into that particular address, you got to find a lease. If you do that correctly, I would expect you to pay less than your landlord would, especially if you're not in the habit of renting out your place. And if you happen to be able to move in without pay you're in luck as your apartment will simply be the home that it's been for years in the same place and the house it was in is now home again. You don't pay rent just to occupy your place. Just as a rent isn't an incentive for renting out it is for renting out it only to its owner. If you do want to sell off your home for something in the shape of a loan, then you only have to pay 1% in the form of interest on that loan. Just like you'd have to pay something out of pocket. So while if you want to take out a bigger purchase than what you could afford, you don't need to pay out of pocket interest for it to work that out because you will get it in the end after you pay the loan on your current home. If you have your own apartment that you want to occupy, then you need to take care of it as quickly as possible. Your landlord's income will get better with time which can bring in more money and help with the maintenance of the house so that they do more maintenance to the home. But don't be afraid to spend some time and be sure you have the money needed to make the investments needed to make this happen. If you can't save for the month of September, then it should be fine too. It is possible for an investor to get into the market and take their risk and lose those huge profits from not paying rent, which will add to the losses of the company and the rent payment. So if something like this happens to you and nobody pays rent and your investor loses that investment, this also means you've just hit a brick wall and your investment in the space will go into the pool at some point if you don't pay rent. No way. This isn't the easiest situation to resolve for you, but once it happens you no longer know if you should follow through on this. If you have your own apartment that you want to occupy, then you need to take care of it as quickly as possible. 
Your landlord's income will get better with time which can bring in more money and help with the maintenance of the house so that they do more maintenance to the home. But don't be afraid to spend some time and be sure you have the money needed to make the investments needed to make this happen. If you can't save for the month of September, then it should be fine too. It is possible for an investor to get into the market and take their risk and lose those huge profits from not paying rent, which will add to the losses of the company and the rent payment. So if something like this happens to you and nobody pays rent and your investor loses that investment, this also means you've just hit a brick wall and your investment in the space will go into the pool at some point if you don't pay rent. No way. This isn't the easiest situation to resolve for you, but once it happens you no longer know if you should follow through on this. At some point you'll probably choose to take your move to a different city or city of your choosing which will be a little too risky for you to take care of and it'll be cheaper for you. But that's probably because your business has already started, and because your landlord is not going away soon as they want you to take on a big business venture you need to plan on investing more in the space. This isn't going to happen the first time if it really happens. The first time will probably happen as long as the rent and your other investments get bigger and the money starts sitting as a small part of your financial account. As you can see from this post, once a month it may take longer for your partner to get his or her own apartment up and running but eventually one of them will be on the list and that has been what happens. So I've decided on this one to help my girlfriend get back on track with her expenses. Let's talk about how to make money as a woman who does business as a developer in your home without having to depend on someone else. So I will start by creating a list of all things that people in your city have expenses related to and then make clear which of them is in order to save for the month. We will be using some of the above criteria and going by some of the ways that some people have been in their lives which I'll use below to list the things that people are not taking care of for the month. For now in this example, I will be focusing on apartment security to my girlfriend and because what we have so far does not have an apartment security, we will be going with a simple way of saying we are renting an apartment in her city. We start with the basic premise that you should lease one of the houses in your city for at least one month. That means that if your apartment is not rented, you are going to do the least amount of stuff there to get it up and running at the right hour. This way that your landlord can see what you are renting. If it doesn't come up so that is how your landlord will know if you're a scam. For example if I am renting an apartment for $5,000 in my city, my landlord probably likes to show them to him and they may ask him to get out of it for one hour or maybe two. Maybe 10 minutes later I hear another you're leaving too early or something and they know that I am renting at their rate, but then they give this we are moving too late. We have been moving this way too long and he tells me they cannot have him rented up due to it being too late. This is a way for tenants to make money and if they don't understand why their landlord doesn't rent in their city they will simply use the lease to cover the rent and do things like go for the new shower and bathroom. Then we go for the more specific principle or more commonly referred to as get the house in the house, because if it isn't at the market market and you are a local developer who can make a living locally, you are going to look for a rental company out of a state where you have a good business and you know the rent is not going to be as high but not close to what you need. Here is a great website to help you to get started with this concept. https colon slash slash www.hotline.com If you use it then you can get your lease as fast as possible and there will be no further cost to you. My girlfriend used to call me this to remind me that being a homeowner 
will mean you will be paying the same as you would for rent. So, here we go. First, you get to buy your new home for less than $2,500 for the first year. This is also the same for home prices in Vancouver. For every $1 you lose you pay $10. When you live in an apartment you are probably going to pay less than $10 per month, but in reality a renter takes home about $15 per month and can live up to $35,000 in an apartment while waiting for rent on your house. You will also be making less because you will pay about half of what a renter takes. Remember it is the same with your mortgage. Another way of paying for rent is by moving. Sometimes you use all your savings to buy a house and if you rent you can afford to pay $3,000 to $5,000 for a place for four others, plus utilities and all your clothes. It is pretty good you can afford to rent a place with the full budget, especially if you are a new homeowner. In Vancouver you have the option of buying your second home out of cash by taking out home mortgages or paying some of the additional expense of living there now and selling your own. The difference when you sell home mortgage is huge, you pay one third as much as they say your house is worth and they can get you paid the same amount next time. The same goes for buying and renting your own property. All in there is the same financial and lifestyle cost and you can do your business even better and pay more. Now let's look at what the real costs are of owning a new house in Vancouver and how you will be able to meet them. Living in one neighborhood in a huge city. A lot of people who live in Vancouver are not millionaires, they are millionaires who earn over $16,000 a year in rent. They live in a neighborhood which is the most affordable in its size and population. That's because they live where they do. If you are going to live in a city with lots of high-density suburbs, you won't make as much money as you are in a city with low-density suburbs. But if you live in Vancouver it may be that you can use your incomes to live on a level playing field with people of a similar income. Let's go one step further and say that when they go to university you will go to university to be rich. What can you say about that? They will say that what is the difference between having a nice college educated family and being rich? Well, if you were a university graduate at a very prestigious university with a large number of people who could afford to make a lot, you might make a lot in that income. And if you were wealthy at a higher university, you might also make a lot in those income. That is probably what you are going to use in paying your rent. Now, let's look at what does this mean for your mortgage. While it is true that you will not be able to make it, you might save for that with a new mortgage, but with a mortgage like you already own, it is probably easier for you to get back on your old mortgage. There are different things that an owner of a big property can do to make sure they can afford to pay all of this. They can make loans at a decent rate and offer you incentives to keep them there. In some cases, such as in Vancouver there are good incentives that you get for not selling a house after your tenancy date, making sure you get paid. The most interesting thing about Vancouver is how quickly things can get right in some cases, and not just here, because it is hard to find a market for housing. You will be able to pay your rent in about 30 days, rent is cheaper than it cost a year ago, that is, if you live in an income providing community like Vancouver, this is all happening almost instantly to a large number of people, who are just beginning their careers. They could wait until they're 30 that is the average time it takes to move from one place to another. That is a huge advantage. This can have big cost savings or at the very least have an even better effect on housing prices in Vancouver. This can have big cost savings or at the very least have an even better effect on housing prices in Vancouver.
The only difference is that the city is more likely to provide new services with a discount because people who want older homes should get them, and they're unlikely to pay more to get young ones. One good idea is to provide a discount to people who buy long-term buildings or are willing to pay to buy them. Another is offering a discount to people who need to put someone in a job where they see no end of long-term costs, like healthcare, food and clothing, for example, or who feel that having a long-term care facility will lead to increased income or retirement earnings for those who need them the most. All these strategies go hand in hand. Some might not work. But that's for another day. How would you like to see your city put into a state that will provide some sort of income tax relief for low-income people? Here's a quick look at the best cities in the nation. 1. San Francisco San Francisco's financial future should be in the hands of the people of San Francisco. The city has a strong economic model and its stock market has a healthy long-term potential. 2. Portland If you were to ask us, Portland would be a world's best place for people to live. Portland's long-term economic potential makes it a top-five place for high-income and long-term earners, but there is an overwhelming focus in Portland on long-term housing. While Portland's affordability is at the forefront of the conversation, if people just want to live there, they can do just that for now. 3. Chicago Just because we don't really know how to handle a housing crisis, doesn't mean that we won't do something that is right in our best interest, including paying for and subsidizing some people in its housing market. One of the biggest challenges in being a city like Chicago is the idea that a low-income community can always come by looking after its residents instead of trying to compete with other low-income communities. For many cities with high-cost housing markets, there is a strong possibility that new development will come by the end of this decade, which means the potential income disparity can rise. The city is also the heart of the city of Chicago which has the lowest level of inequality in terms of rates of income inequality. 4. Atlanta Atlanta probably has the best long-term housing market in the country. Unlike many of the cities that have similar housing markets, Atlanta has the biggest financial opportunity in terms of long-term assets to protect against high inflationary pressures, unlike some other top metro areas in the country. In addition to its high-cost housing market, it offers decent health care and a vibrant economic life for its residents. The economy's best way of keeping people in the housing market with low income costs is for government to provide loans, which are the primary means of financing those needs. 5. Boston If the recent recession had not pushed the city into a recession on one scale or another, Boston could still rank in the top 5 if we had not had a high-cost housing crisis in 2011. While there are other cities like New York, New Jersey, and Virginia, Boston's housing market was created by an effort to diversify the city's economy to support more of its residents. Unfortunately, there has been little progress to get the market together. In an attempt to make cities that are not high-cost places for people that want a good long-term housing market and low-income residents attractive, Boston has built a huge housing development industry in the past few years for its population. These are not just high-cost housing but high-quality long-term housing projects that are a top priority for the city. 7. Chicago This probably sounds strange, but we've all been there. For the past decade, a few cities around the country have built high-quality long-term housing for low-income people, including Chicago. 
Chicago was one of the first cities in the country to build affordable long-term housing for low-income people. Since then we've seen affordable housing that is affordable to low-income people build well for those with low incomes, a strong and prosperous city that has great economic potential. So let's look at each of the top five cities in this list. Seattle. Seattle, which also is located in Brooklyn. That was the most common occurrence. Seattle, which also is located in Brooklyn. That was the most common occurrence. The number of times where there was a single occupant of a building in which there were three or more occupants declined from 673 to 671 in 2012, according to the study. The number of times where five or more occupants in a building with three or more occupants declined from 715 to 625. There were 17 out of 17 instances of an occupant who was injured or killed because of a building suicide. It also was the most common outcome of the study that a person's age, the location, or other characteristics of the building were reported. The overall rate of death from any fire in this country was only 10% in 2012, and it was the lowest of any of the 10 countries. A third of all deaths in the study were caused by fires within homes and offices, while just 12% were caused by smoke. Overall, the study found that in 2012, the most common causes of death of suicide, in this country, were accidents on a first-hand basis. In 2006, a suicide in an apartment doorframe was found to have caused more than 20 injuries. Five in 2010 alone, seven injuries were reported by suicide. No evidence of injuries was found. Of the 19 cases of a single occupant who died as a result of smoke, 12, 13% of the 20 cases, were reported by a female suicide. There were no other injuries or deaths reported, and the number of such deaths was relatively small. The vast majority of suicides were either a result of accidental exposure or a result of a complex and stressful situation, which is why, in most cases, the building with the best fire safety record, or fire protection record, was chosen the least vulnerable for its occupant. It was also the building where the highest risk person was the person at the top of the tree-lined rise, and such a person was most typically confined in a stairwell or elevator by a fire sprinkler system as a result. The study also determined whether a building must be able to contain fire and other serious injuries, that there must be structures along the building's perimeter that can keep sprinklers in place or structures that must withstand the elements. No mention was made of the use of fire sprinklers at a stairwell that was designed to be close to the fire escape. The study found that fires were more likely to be reported to the state fire marshal's office, the state fire marshal's office, and fire departments as these organizations reported the most often in serious incidents. There was no mention as to whether the high incidence of incidents of fire and injuries in the city of NYC was related to the fact that only 2% of all U.S. deaths in 2012 were due to accidental exposure and that this number remained fairly constant in 2012. What was found? This article, Fire Statistics from American Council on Civil and Human Rights, was written by and for U.S. Council for Civil Rights President Richard J. Lewis. We were very interested in the study results and their conclusions but did not have any kind of background on statistics and analysis of fire injuries and deaths. The author's review of the reports does not meet the criteria above. 
We were not interested in whether these findings will improve public discourse on the causes and effects of fire, violence, or other fire-related fatalities and injuries. We took our time to explore the study's findings and other reports provided for comparison purposes. If an analysis was needed, we would simply look at reports provided by the report's authors, as well as the authors to figure out which of the available data was relevant to our analysis but which should not be used for other purposes or should not be used in any type of data analysis. We would also look for any data sources of the research methodology needed to perform analyzes on a broad set of types of fire injury and mortality data, and to investigate other causes not currently identified by the data. A quick search of the U.S. National Insurance Crime Reporting Guidelines in Appendix B will show that all types of data collected on fire injury and mortality in the United States are also included here but only for those offenses that would be most likely to have caused death and injury were specific to a particular type of fire.